You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Drop your shoulders, take a breath, tune into how you feel, because it's time to stretch. Hey, it's Sinead O'Moore, your host of Stretch Marks. Mother's Day is around the corner, which of course is a beautiful celebration for many. But what if it's a particularly hard day? What if you've lost your mother? Which made me think of Sarah McGinn, creator of the brand new podcast, Life's Too Short. Sarah tells her story of losing her mother and becoming a mother in the same week with huge heart, pain, awe and disbelief. We talk about breast cancer and birth, life and death. We talk about her mother, Anne, and her daughter, Annie. And we talk about how life is too short. There are lots of really amazing reasons why I wanted to talk to Sarah for this particular episode, which you'll hear as her story unfolds, not least to support those who just need to hear somebody talk about the grief of losing their mother, particularly this week. But also because we both share a specific date, A day our lives both changed. A day in October 2020. Ten, ten, twenty, twenty is an important date for us both Mm -hmm. for very different reasons, but it's a date that connects us um on a date I suppose that also leads us to why you're here to talk to me on this episode because I always remember it um it is the day that my daughter was born but it is also the day that you lost your mum yes yeah and when you said that date there my stomach actually just dropped even though like I know what we're here to talk about and it just it was like a literal physical sensation of, of yeah, heart racing, my stomach dropping out. And yeah, and like we didn't, myself and yourself didn't know each other um, back then. But I was also, and not immediately, but I know o- over those coming months, I was aware that you had had Juliet on that date. And I just, my mind was blown because I was like, how could, not that how can these things happen? You know, millions of things happen every day all over the world. But I was like, this is just, this was the happiest day of Sinead's life, who I don't know. Um, and it was the worst day of mine. But yeah, we were in such similar trajectories because we were both, you know, we both have two and a half year olds now born within the exact same week. And I was like, how different our lives were. Like, I know I was becoming a first time mom and you you were becoming a second time mom, but like how different that journey into 
motherhood was at the exact same time. So it's just, I think that's the whole thing. It's like the world goes on around us, even though we're experiencing these really big moments Mm -hmm. in our life. This is the next part of that week. You, you lost your mum on the 10th Mm -hmm. and then you became a mum. Yeah. And I became a mum on the 17th, which was exactly a week later. So a Saturday to a Saturday. And like, I, I still find it really, (laughs) we're only a few minutes into the episode and I feel like more going to start crying, but I still find it really hard to wrap my head around the fact that that's what happened. Um, If you're really sad, sorry. Oh my God. There's so much to talk about with grief. Mm -hmm. You're channeling what you're feeling right now into something really creative and really amazing and really supportive for the people who also need that avenue to talk. And we can kind of have to perform our daily lives and push it back and it's only when we are giving that dedicated space Mm -hmm. think about it to relive it to talk about it that those things can come up which is why I think your podcast is just going to be so incredibly compassionate and supportive and healing for those that need it um you know cry is a release yeah trauma we push down Mm -hmm. yeah and you know what it's funny you use those words push down because when I have I, I like I've only recently started the podcast and but I've spoken to maybe like I've interviewed quite a few people already and I've had you know my family members ask me like are you like are you okay to like are you okay to do it are you okay to chat with them and it's like you know I I start crying within two minutes of talking about my grief to you but when I'm talking to somebody else I'm like I can take it in and I can listen and I can feedback and and it's like my my trauma my story I, it's like I put a brick wall up against it or I become quite numb to it and I can talk to people about the worst moments of their lives and I'm listening and and and, and I'm not getting and like super affected as I am now when I'm trying to talk about my own story but I do think that it is I'm so happy that I'm doing it. I feel like I'm facilitating a space for people to come on. And I've had some really good feedback from people as well who like who I've interviewed and they're like, I've just I've really enjoyed this conversation. I found it so cathartic. I found one girl even said to me, she's like, I feel like this was a therapy session. I was like, oh, my God, like that's that is wonderful to. And I'm not I'm not trying to pick myself up here, but it is wonderful that people are getting these opportunities to come on and talk about these people who are the most important parts of their lives most important people in their lives and I'm just I'm really happy and I'm really proud that I've been able to to kind of do that it is incredible it is and there is a strength that comes from being able to do it and I understand because I've been doing this now for years where I've heard some of the most upsetting life-changing but then aspirational and inspirational stories and you take it all with you like I just you bank it all with you and and you get that feedback of how much it helps people and that kind of spurs you on further but it it can be quite emotionally draining as well to Mm -hmm. to because you do take it in like it's hard yes you've got that brick wall up but Mm -hmm. I can understand why people ask you that because you will have to revisit 
pain. You'll have to revisit grief. You'll have to grow into how to be comfortable with the fact that this is where you're at, but also we will all be there someday. We will all have this experience of grief someday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the main reasons that I started it and wanted to talk to people about it is because I had I had thought about grief I had understood how painful it would be you know to lose someone that you loved I didn't understand the changes that would come to you as a person after you lost someone I didn't really like I suppose when you think about grief, you actually don't want to think about what am I, what, what, like, how, how is this going to affect me? How am I going to live? And I suppose that's one of the biggest questions, like, how am I going to live without this person? But as the grief goes on for me and for the people that I've now been talking to, it's like all these big changes or little changes in your life that happen, like how you think about things and your belief systems and the life path that you want to take and what's important to you and all these things that perhaps you did know in parts of your brain but life gets in the way before you lose someone but then afterwards I feel it's just amplified so much and that's what I wanted to explore so although I am talking to people about the worst moments of their lives it's also there's this like lift of like well this is what I do now this is what I think now you know this is how I honor my person or this is how I live my life to honor my person so there is quite it's it's weird like we're talking about grief so it is incredibly heartbreaking but then it's really really uplifting as well stretched much yeah me too I can't avoid the parts of life that deplete me in fact I adore most of them like my children and my work so I'm leaning into discovering how I can best support my energy, my nutritional needs and my well-being for the long term with Wow Woman. With vitamins B6, B12 and iron, which contributes to normal energy release, Well Woman safeguards and supports our nutritional needs. This supplement range includes options for vegans and vegetarians, women age 50 plus, or if you are engaging in sports, there's a Well Woman product for us all. With 50 years of innovation in nutritional science, Vitabiotics has been pushing boundaries to help our families feel at their best. With products to suit all stages from preconception, pregnancy, postpartum and family life, with Pregnicare, WellKid, WellWoman and WellMan, Vitabiotics have created a product to suit every stretch of family life. Vitabiotics want to look after you through their supplemental range and by supporting this season of Stretch Marks. Food supplements must not replace a varied and balanced diet and a healthy lifestyle. And you should always consult your doctor or pharmacist before using. How long was your mum sick for? So my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018. Um, actually, three days after I got married. Um, but she didn't tell me while I was away. She, didn't, she wanted to wait till I was back. Um I think, and I say I think because, and maybe it'll become clear as I talk about it, my mum just wanted to not make any of us worry. She wanted to keep us all safe. She didn't want us changing our lives because she was sick. She 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 wanted to, she didn't want us being really, really upset. So when I say I think she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, not terminal, but stage four cancer from that very first appointment with her doctor I can't say for sure because you know when my mom was describing it to me she's like no no 
just a little bit, just a little bit of my breast. I never liked my breasts anyway. They were far too big. I'm going to get one chopped off. It's going to be fine. And that was, she was like, don't you worry. You're going to be totally okay. I'm going to be here for years. And that was how she tells and continue on and continue on. For, so for those first couple of years, I don't think none of us realized maybe what the doctors had said, you know, from that initial appointment and that initial um, scan and mastectomy. And because my mom just, she didn't want to talk about it and she didn't want us to worry. So she'd go back for continuing appointments and we'd ask her, are we getting on? She's like, oh, no, no, I just have a tiny bit here and a tiny bit there. But like, I plan on being here for 15, 20 years. I can't speak for the rest of my family when I say this. I have a, quite a big family, as 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 you probably know, but I have five sisters and, and my mum and my dad. So I can't speak for everyone here. But for me, I latched on to what my mum said. And no matter what I read on Google about what she had, about her specific cancer, about what stage it was at, no matter all the negative news that I was getting from doing my own research, I was like, no, no. My mom said, and I know it sounds really naive and really stupid, but to know my mom, she was the most positive, forceful bunch of energy that you like, honestly, she was, you believe absolutely everything that she said. She was just so positive, do you know? And so part, I believe my mom believed what she was saying over the course of, of those two and a half years. Absolutely. That's how she lived. And she did not seem sick for the first two years. Like she had a mastectomy on one of her, on one of her breasts. Then she had another mastectomy the following year because um, it, it was just too much pain. Um, and she was in for multiple different small procedures. She, you, you wouldn't like the doctors were astounded when she was getting up out of the hospital, like the next day to go home after she had a mastectomy or she was, you know, going for hour long walks a couple of days later. They were like, this isn't you. You're not supposed to be able to do these things. Mom was like, no, no, this I am just I am living my life how I want to be living my life and, and nothing's going to stop me. So when we got the news in, I think it was June, June or July in 2020 that the cancer was terminal, we were absolutely thrown. Just thrown. We, our dad told us and myself and my sisters um, immediately booked in an appointment with my mom's team up in the hospital. Went up, I think that afternoon and the doctors kind of sat us down and, and explained to us what was happening in a little bit more detail and what was like, what had been happening over the previous couple of months. And we kind of, you know, obviously, obviously we were all absolutely heartbroken and in floods of tears and, and just in disbelief. And I suppose we kind of pushed for a bit more of a timeline on what we were potentially looking at and they were hesitant and they were hesitant. And then one of the doctors kind of said, you have a year. And at the time, this was the most devastating news that we could ever have gotten. <clears throat> I would give anything for that year now, absolutely anything. And I think when people, 
I think sometimes when people hear, like you see me now, I'm, I'm in my late 30s. Like my mom was only in her late 50s. That is so young for someone like she, she, she had started having kids when she was 21, 22, finished at 42, um, having her last child. She was 59. Like it's, it's so young when you're still, <clears throat> you're still not even finished raising your own family. And then you're moving on to like the second half of your life. She was so excited. She was, she loved life. She absolutely loved life and she really made the most of it. She was a really, really special person. And I know she's my mom, so I'm biased, but like she made a mark on anyone that she met. You could have met her for two seconds and you'd remember her. She just, she was so charismatic and she was so funny and she had the best laugh and, you know, she gave the best hugs. And she was such a great mom. And not just to us, like to her sisters and her brothers, to our friends, to her own friends. Like she was just full of life. And that's why it seems so unfair that her life was taken so soon. Did it change her? that you now knew how little was left? Or did she still carry the, it's just a little bit, everything is okay? I think for those, certainly for the next kind of, you know, you know, we got back from the hospital that day after we spoke to the doctors and my mum and dad were there. And even then she didn't want to speak about it. She's like, girls, I don't understand why you're all so upset. Um, she didn't speak like that. I don't know why I always put that voice. In my <laughs> she, was, she wasn't an old lady. She was quite um, young and, and modern, but um, it seems to be the voice that you go to. But even then, she didn't want to talk about it. But there was this kind of spoken rule that we would be now spending all of our time together. You know, not not saying we wanted to. Like, I think, I don't think one of us went back to our jobs after that day. Um, I immediately went off on sick leave. I was six months pregnant and I went off on sick leave and um, not quite sure my sisters did. Like we're all, everybody was, you know, employed, but from that day forth, nobody, nobody was working. And in the August, um, my mum had, she rent, she, she used to rent um, a house in Wexford every year for months and people would come and they'd go and, her sisters would come and go and, and her nieces and nephews and all of us and the grandkids. So it was just like, you know, in and out all kind of month and whenever you could make it down and the house was booked and she's like, I want, I do realize this is in the middle of COVID, but the house has been booked for months. And she's like, I want to go down to Exeter and I want to spend the month there. And um, each one of us were like, well, we want to go down to Exeter and we want to spend the month with you, obviously. Um, so there was, you know, seven adults living there pretty much full time and like a three bed house <laughs> overlooking the sea and it was so nice but it was a real kind of moment of seeing our mom kind of deteriorate you know because my mom was so active and so full of life and like the previous year previous summer we've been down in Wexford and there's this like really steep hill down to the seaside or to the beach and like my mum was always trying to get me to jump in the sea and I was like no it's too cold it's too cold she's like oh you're such, you're such a wuss and she'd be up and down that 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 steep hill day in day out morning and evening 
you know, going on her really long walks. She'd be cooking dinner and we'd be all sitting around having a laugh and talking for hours. And 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 it was such a marked difference to have this year where she was starting to become so sick and so sick. And the things I suppose that maybe she tried to not hide from us like this wasn't it wasn't deception. It was like, I don't want to hurt my babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to upset my daughters. Having such a close relationship with your mum and sisters and family and Mm. did that influence how you felt when now you're the person who's carrying a child you're the person it's your turn now you're gonna you're about to become a mother and I got married when I was I can't remember maybe 31 32 I'm not quite sure which is terrible. I probably should remember. Um, and even then, after the initial marriage, and you know, or after the, after the marriage, um, it was like, oh, let's kind of leave it for a little bit. Um, and just you know, it's we got married in April. I was like, we've this summer ahead of us. Mum had just got the news as well, so like we were kind of planning things around my own family, so mum, dad, sisters, and then myself and Paddy then as well, and. Uh, who's my husband and uh, so like we kind of just like oh we'll start in a while we'll start in a while little did I know how long it would take um, I we, we started trying at the end of that year and I think for anyone who hasn't tried before and you're just basing it off the education that you had as a as a child where you're like oh Can my god if you look at a man education? yeah edu- education yeah. like if I look at, at, at a man and I, I, I you know I'll instantly become pregnant and mm. that just was not the case for us uh or anybody but um so yeah it took it took a, it took I'd say it took a full year to become pregnant and then we had a miscarriage and then it took another maybe four months get pregnant with Annie so it was a it was a really long time and there was nothing wrong um it just wasn't happening um make it harder yeah exactly you're like can you not just give me a pill or something to take and you know make it easier um but I think as the time went on I'm not sure how if this is the same for other people but I got quite angry not outwardly angry, I don't think, although maybe Patty would say slightly different, but I was ju- I was like holding a lot of anger in my everyday life. I didn't want to share with people, you know, what the, how long we were trying and that it wasn't working. And it would just build up and build up where I kind of just like, I didn't really want to see people. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. And, I, you know, I think, excuse me, I think it just... I remember it would kind of like like burst out of me at like really weird moments to either my sisters or my mom or my friends and I would just feel awful. I also wasn't helped by the fact that I <laughs> this is like a form of self-torture, but I watched every single episode of One Born Every Minute. I would come home from work each day and I'd watch two episodes. <laughs> There's like 20 seasons or something like that. It's insane. And my husband <laughs> oh, sorry, would be downstairs. And he just hear the the team tune coming on and all the babies crying. And he'd be like, Sarah, turn it off. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to watch it. Form of self-harm. Yeah, no, it really was. And I just, it was, it was a very, very, very strange time. So I think when we eventually did get pregnant with Annie, there was that, you know, there was that joy that we were pregnant, that fear that would end in a miscarriage again. And then also this kind of thought like 
well, I can't have two miscarriages in a row, but like, obviously you can. And then COVID hit mm. when I was nine weeks pregnant, I think. We would have been the same. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I do remember those first couple of months after I got over the initial kind of fear. Like one of the, like the best moments was telling my mom when I was pregnant, you know, and like I still have that and I still have those first few months, which isn't a lot, you know. Um, but it's, it's something I like to hold on to. But yeah, when we kind of got the news about mom and I was about six months pregnant, the end of the pregnancy in those last couple of months were just, they were just so scary. Um, for want of a better word, I was, <clears throat> I was really obviously worried about my mom. That's, you don't even need to say that. I was so worried about Annie and I, and I forgot this until I was kind of like preparing for this interview. I was so scared. I kept reading these articles about what stress and grief does to a baby who's being grown. And I was, I was just, I was so worried and nobody would give me a straight answer. Every time I went to my appointments, they were like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. No stress. And I was like, but then why, like, why are all these people online? I know it is online, but like reputable sources saying how dangerous it is to be, have this high level of stress and anxiety and stress and grief while growing a baby, you know? So that kind of between that and I developed really bad insomnia um, for the for the final three months. I, you know, and it wasn't uncomfortable. It was every time I was going down to bed, it's when my my mind would race, and I like I would just be thinking about my mom and what was going to happen, and you know, like what we we're going to do over the coming months and all this kind of stuff. My mind would race and race and race, and I'd regularly be up to like five o'clock in the morning and then back up at like seven. So I was exa- absolutely exhausted every day. I was bawling my eyes out day in, day out, not sleeping, stressing about the baby, and then just trying to like. I didn't I like none of us wanted to be like that in front of our mom as well so like I was trying to kind of like hold it all together and then I'd come back and you know my husband be here and I just completely fall apart again um and I just I found that I know this was my first pregnancy so I don't actually know any different to other than a COVID pregnancy and going up to all your appointments alone and speaking all by yourself and all this but as the months were on I just found it so tough and having to go up week in, week out and explain what was going on. And I was doing the the midwife program, which was great. And I, you know, I really do like all the midwives, but you were like coming up against different people and different personalities and they'd be asking and, you know, how are you getting on? And oh, I see in your chart here, your mom's quite sick. And can you tell me a bit about that? And I'm just like... Like I cried and I cried and I cried. And then in one appointment, I was like, you know, I'm not going to cry. And I was speaking to the midwife. She's like, God, I don't know how you're not crying. Like if that was my mom, I'd be in uh, floods of tears. And I was like, well, I, like I just, I, I did not, I didn't know how to act. I felt like I'd be panicking sitting there in the waiting room, like full on, like sweating and panicking and be like, who am I going to get? What are they going to ask? What am I going to say? Am I going to be able to stop crying? Also, the 
doors are so flimsy in those rooms. Like everybody sitting in the waiting room can then like hear everything that's going on as well. And then on top of this, it's like, it's all kind of just come back to me. I was, I couldn't, again, this is only when you're a first time mom and you have no idea what labor is like, apart from what you see or what you hear. And, you know, only so, uh, so much reading and researching doesn't, you you can't physically imagine it until you go through it. So I was very, very worried about giving birth. I was very, very worried about giving birth by myself. I had no brain space. I had no capacity. I had, I could not prepare. I was, you know, at the start of my pregnancy, I was like, you know, I'm going to download gentle birthing apps and going to make playlists and I'm going to do an antenatal classes and all, all this kind of stuff. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything and prepare even when I got into labor, I, she was like, do your breathing exercise. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, like, I, I, I can't, I, I haven't done any research on this. So, you know, as I was going to my appointments, I was like, listen, I just, I do not, I cannot prepare for this birth. I just, I need some reassurance that I'm not going to be doing this by myself. They're like, we can't, it's COVID. We can't give you any reassurance. One doctor, in fact, said that what I was going through wasn't that unusual and that they couldn't be making exceptions for me. Um, which I, this was like the, a couple of weeks before my mom passed. Like this at the very end where I was like completely like hysterical going in. Yeah, it was just. It was much. not how I imagined preparing um, for having our first baby for sure. It's too much. Mm. From speaking to parents on the podcast I host for Childhood Cancer Ireland, it, it, is a sim, it strikes me, it's just kind of, as you were talking, similar conversations I've had with mothers who are due a baby, but their older child is sick. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're in that space of like, they have, they have, they feel this obligation, obviously, you know, it's very natural, but like to, my, my child is like admitted in Crumlin for months. I must be there every mm -hmm. single day. And and almost the birth, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way and neither do they, but the birth is like an inconvenient mm -hmm. logistic that needs to be overcome in order for you to go back to the most important thing that's actually happening in your life right now, which is making sure that you're present for your mother. Because mm -hmm. as much as we also say, and it is true. We do, we do, we do feel like we are transitioning and becoming mothers from the moment that we see that pregnancy stick, or even mm. from the moment that we decide we want to try. Really, in that moment, your love for your mother is stronger than your love for the baby you're carrying. Yeah. 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 I would absolutely 100% agree with that. Do you know, uh, this was a moment where I was like I, I couldn't even really think about it properly it was just like I just need to have this baby so I can get back to my mom super quick and I remember maybe I think I was 37 weeks or 38 weeks 37 I was 37 weeks I went in for an appointment and I asked to speak to the consultant on duty who lovely man um but I think even though none of us were speaking about it, I think we could understand somewhat that things were maybe progressing a little faster with mom. And I asked him if I could have a C-section. Um, I was like, I just, I need, I want to have this baby out. I 
as I've said, I, I just, I, I can't prepare. I am worried about the, the stress. Like at this point I was sleeping like way less and crying way more and panicking and not being able to breathe. And it was very, very physical. Um, so it was all these things combined that I wanted to have a C-section. And at the end of the day, it was my choice not to have it. But I, I I did feel it as well. It was kind of like, well, you know, there is a risk that something could go wrong and you'd be in hospital for the next two or three weeks. So there's a risk, however small, that could something go wrong with a baby and you'd be in for two or three weeks. And also, do you know, like, even if you have a C-section, you will be on your own for most of your hospital stay here. Is that, is that what you want? And I was like, I don't really want any of any of that. these options. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, absolutely none. And I remember the doctor saying at the time, he's like, you know, and he did, he did very much mean this in a nice way, but he was like, I've seen in so many instances that, you know, the people hang on, they hang on until the baby gets there and they they pass afterwards. <clears throat> and I, maybe that's the kind of, maybe that kind of, I got that into my head. I was like, okay, that's going to be the case. And, and also I should say that in over the course of September, our mom was taken into hospital uh, for a month or three and a half weeks. She was moved hospitals. We were getting zero information from them. We were ringing daily, trying to um, get updates for them. They wouldn't give us updates because they the updates had to go through our mom, but we couldn't reach, like we couldn't get, through, like it was so confusing. They didn't want us coming in to the hospital because it was COVID. They said, you know, one to two people that could come in. But, you know, when they kept seeing different one or two people coming in, they were like, this is too much. We're like, but we are a family of set, of of eight people. Do you know, our, her daughters and her husband want to be able to see her and her sisters want to see her. And so it was this, it, it so by the when I had asked for a C-section, in fact, I hadn't seen my mom for the last couple of weeks properly. But the updates we were getting were just all over the place and just not making any sense. And um, the following week, we've, we, I, my dad was up and my older sister and whatever way they said, because my mom just wanted to be released from hospital. Mm. Um, and she kept saying that to us. And we kept asking the hospital, we, like, we want to release her, we want to release her, we want her home. And I don't know what was getting confused between the two hospitals that they were transferring her between or the, the you know, the doctors who weren't taking the direct phone calls or saying that they couldn't speak to us, even though we were next to him. It was all, it was such a clusterfuck mm. of misinformation um across this critical time and these critical weeks and um, when she, she she was finally allowed home uh in october on the spend the 7th of october because she was only home for three days then and she passed away at home and um, we were hoping for months we were planning christmas we were you know planning all these special occasions for her um she was so it's turned 60 the following April and I'd like, you know, we were over those weeks and months we were planning for the 60 and what we were going to do and stuff. So I think when people think that someone dies of cancer, that you're expecting it. And maybe, maybe I was just naive not to be expecting it, but 
I was not expecting her to to die on the day that she did. None of us were. She went from being so full of life to gone in just like a couple of months. And like, I know even at the funeral, friends and relatives, people people were in so much shock that she was gone because she just didn't, like she didn't act sick, she didn't look sick. Like she lost her hair, but only only August when she had been diagnosed two and a half years before, like there was no, she was on like a lot of medication and stuff over those two years, but she was not in chemotherapy or anything like that. So it was such a shock to all of us that she was gone. And I think what I found really hard to wrap my head around was that because she wasn't so sick for so long that it was like, well, she didn't want to die. You know, she had so much life left to live with all of us. Yeah, so it was, it was, she died the morning of October 10th and that week is quite, um, quite a blur as, as you'd imagine. Um, we all stayed at home. Um, we didn't leave, kind of, we all just um, stayed in the house and my sister gave me up her room, which was very nice for, um, I could have my own room, my own bed, because like at this stage I was, you know, ready to pop. My due date was actually the Wednesday. So I went over 14 and 3. Um, and then I, the first couple of nights kind of, I think we we're all getting a bit worried that I go into spontaneous labour. Um, so my husband, <laughs> then he came to stay with us as well. But like we just, I didn't leave the house then again until I was, I had an appointment on the Thursday. I ended up going into labour the next day um, which we all find very funny because it was in my sister's bed and then Annie was actually end up being born on her birthday as well so it was my sister's birthday that Saturday as well um, so just a little in family mm. humour um, but yeah so by the time I started going into labour on the Friday I think about 5am I left my parents' house about seven, came back to this house. And because I hadn't gotten that full, full guarantee, I was like, I'm going to stay at home until I, you know, I, I'm going to pass out with the pain. Um, which, I mean, if I'd known how painful it was going to get, oh my God. Um, so yeah, we went up to the hospital and uh, immediately they separated us and told Patty to go wait in the car. And at this point I was like, so beaten down I couldn't even speak I couldn't even say listen they said my husband could come in and this is what's happened I was just I could not I couldn't even squeak I couldn't get a word out I was so mentally and physically exhausted and drained and beaten down I'm like well how could it get anywhere so this is well this is how I can get worse I can just you know I'll just go up and have my baby by myself and And, you know the midwife was bringing me upstairs she was chat chat chatting and I was just couldn't say a word and I went into the assessment unit again I couldn't I couldn't speak and I knew what I was like I knew they were like everybody was looking at me really oddly I couldn't even get the words out to to describe to tell what had happened and I was lying in the bed and 
there was a woman next to me in, in her bed and she was so excited. It was her first baby as well. And um, her partner was working, so he wouldn't be able to make it. But her mom was downstairs and she was so excited and it was the first grandchild. And she'd run out to get loads of clothes and her mom was so nice and so funny and so warm. And I was just sitting there. I could just hear every word. And I'm not I'm not blaming her for her happiness, but I was like, how am I sitting beside probably the only person in this room whose mother is coming to the delivery and not the partner, the husband or whatever it might be. Um, I was just like, how could this is just what is going on? Um, and then eventually, I think, I, made, I, I don't know what was going on outside the curtains, but maybe they went over and got my chart and saw what had happened because immediately a midwife came in, took me out, put me in a private room, went down and got Paddy. And um, from there on out, they did. They were incredible incredible like the midwife I had her name was Hope um which set me off bawling when she came <laughs> into the room I was like are you are you joking with me what is your name actually Hope and she was just so wonderful she was so young as well I remember that and she was just, it was like she was like a wise old soul in a young woman's body she was just incredible um and you know I think I I it was Annie came at 2.44 a.m. on Saturday the 17th and I remember when they they put her up on my chest and although it was such a happy moment my immediate was thought was like oh my god like this is what I, this is how much my mum loved me like, I always knew she loved me we were the light of her life her kids were she loved us oh my god I could never have understood that level it was insane. I just was like, this is, this is how I came out of her. I was put on her chest. And that for me, that's one of the hardest things because I would love to turn around to my mom and be like, oh my God, like I get it. I get how much you love me. No matter what I did when I was a teenager or, you know, like my mom and I were very alike, so we'd butt heads quite a lot. And I was like, oh, you still love me this much because... That's that's what my moms do. That's how much they love you unconditionally, like actually painfully much. That's how much you love your kids, even when they are annoying you. <laughs> and that, like, I just that, like, I looked at a picture recently of that moment, and I was looking at my face, and I was like, "That's like I can see that. I can see that etch of pain. Like, there's joy, but it's pain. Like, I can't believe." I didn't know this about how much my mom loved me. Um, so yeah, that was a really, really hard moment. And over the coming weeks of like bringing her home and stuff, I like I'd often look down and be like, oh my God, my mom used to hold me like this. And then all the pain would come again. And I get these like waves of love because I think like you have that initial wave of love, but it keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And like, as it came, I would be like, oh, wow, this is how much she loved me. This is crazy. And yeah, I was just, I just like, I just wish that I would have been able to say to her, I get it, Do you know, and that's, um, yeah, it's really hard. There's something in that moment where it is, it's like the world turns, something changes, that baby is born. You're not the child anymore. Yeah. You're the mother now. You've learned this 
secret <laughs> about what it feels like. And I remember, I remember wanting to go and apologize <laughs> to my mother, because like you, I thought that she loved me the way I loved them. Mm. And it isn't that. No, no. It's like, it's like primal or like animalistic the way it's just like, it's like every cell in your body is just like this is mine and I love it so much and I would you know like I would die for this baby I would I would do anything for them and they're me and I'm them and I made them and like just all this like crazy stuff and like that must be that is like I kind of imagine (laughs) as Annie gets older and like you know she turns into a teenager and I'm getting all this like back chat off her just like I did when I was a teenager I'm like how annoying to think that, you know, I've spent all this time growing you and loving you and would lay down to die for you just for you to turn around and either give me the silent treatment or like be your like teenage moody self. Like how annoying that must be as you grow up. And like I, I fair play to any of the mothers of teenagers now who don't <laughs> snap back and be like, I made you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just insane. You called insane. her Annie. I did. Yeah, I did. And it wasn't her initial name. Uh, we had before we got in the news about my mom, me and Patty had picked a name and we were going to go with that. And then I don't I can't even remember at what point I decided to call her Annie. Um, like it was my mom was still here and she was still alive. But oh, I'm just so stupid that I was like I'm going to surprise her when Annie's born and I'm going to tell my mom and because you know this whole the, like for any of us who had kids I I mean in my family mom was the first person you rang she would be like I can't remember one of my sisters maybe had her baby maybe like four or five eight, I can't really remember and my mom would you know my mom would be up all night she would have been up all night waiting for the texts and like mm. she would be texting the partner be like how's she getting on and like she would so the whole part of my pregnancy I was like oh god like I wonder what time I'll have the baby at and will I ring mom straight away or will she be asleep and then as my mom got sicker I was like maybe I shouldn't ring maybe I should text or do you know and then I was like as it went on I was like oh, maybe I should nominate one of my sisters to be with mom and then she can just tell her and blah blah and then I was like oh she's gonna be so excited when she knows the name and Yeah, on the morning that mum died, um, myself and I, I know I reference my sisters a lot, but mm. it, there's so many of them. It's easier to say sister <laughs> uh, myself and one of my sisters who uh, was also pregnant at the time. Um, she was I think she was three. Gosh, she's going to kill me now. For March minus she was three months pregnant. Um, we had stayed in our own houses the night before, whereas all my other sisters had stayed in my mum and dad's house. Again, if I'd known, I would have I would have stayed there. But so we got there the next day, bringing, you know, coffees, croissants for everybody. Uh, as we had done the, the previous day, we'd all gone down to mom's room. We'd all had coffee and croissants and sat around chatting. Um, and it was when we got down there, we kind of realized maybe that something was wrong and called everybody down. And, you know, my, after mom had passed away and we were all kind of sitting around standing there and just absolute shock and bawling and bawling. And then my, one of my sisters said, did you tell her? Did you tell her? And I was like, no, I've, I didn't because I forgot. Not that I forgot, but it was like, 
I was planning on having this big reveal to her and she was going to be so happy. And I just was like, I should have just told her. I should have just, I should have just known that how sick she looked. You know, like looking back now in hindsight, I would be like, of course I knew. Like, of course she was so, so sick. But at the time, you know, we just didn't think it was going to happen that fast. I thought I had time to tell her these things. And I thought I had time to introduce my mom and my baby, but it wasn't to be. But I know she knows now and I don't, I know people have very different beliefs or, you know, maybe people don't really have beliefs or think about beliefs that much until they lose someone. But I've got great comfort in thinking about the afterlife and all that kind of stuff. And I know she knows wherever she is. So, yeah. You started by saying that part of your reason for wanting to do your podcast was also about talking about grief and the way that it has changed your life mm. and how it makes you think about life and what you may have wanted to do differently. Like mm. that, like not waiting for this imagined perfect moment which I know is totally understandable. Like we all, mm. we all imagine these moments in our life because we assume that we will get them. But what has it taught you? What has being on this side of that pain, but also being on this side of that pain as it collided with the transformation that is going from Sarah to mum yourself? Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot of change in a week. <laughs> that's a lot of yeah. A yeah. lot of life, learning about life in a week. Yeah. That is birth and death in a week. Yeah. Yeah. You it can't is, you can't yeah. be the same. You cannot be no. the same. No, no, I'm absolutely not. Yeah, it's it's I don't think I really thought about those changes in the beginning. I know I didn't. Of course I didn't. I couldn't. I wasn't I couldn't think straight in the beginning. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think maybe is different to other people's experience, one of the things I think is different from other people's experiences of becoming a mother is that I didn't doubt myself at all. I didn't doubt my ability to be a good mom. Of course, I worried about her. And of course, I double checked things and worried I had too many blankets on her or, you know, like, I can't remember the things that you worry about when they're that age. Like, I wor I worried about her, but I didn't doubt that I was, I was a great mom. And I think that's something that my mom left with me. I think seeing how easily she did motherhood throughout her entire life. I don't know. Like, I thought that it would be this, like, did I think I can't, it's hard to remember. Did I think that I was going to be th completely thrown by having a baby or did I think I was, I was going to be okay. I can't remember, but I certainly adapted to becoming a mother, I think very well, but also it was like, you know, when you become a, become a mom like that, your life is turned upside down. My life had already turned upside down in that week my baby not sleeping is not the end of the world. And I'm sorry. And this is, I don't want to dismiss other people's, you know, newborn experiences or becoming a mom experiences, but 
what I was thinking then was like, what whatever happens with my baby and, you know, becoming a mom and the hormones of nothing could be as bad as what just happened. So I, I very much had this like weird perspective of. I don't know, like this becoming a mother has not mm-hmm. upended me, maybe like I thought I would or like I'd read about. Now, in saying that. I did go on to develop really bad um, postnatal anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I didn't doubt myself as a mom. But what I what did happen was. I think my mind, I think my I think my mind kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to word it properly. Um, I think your mind had been in injury for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't it, it wasn't thinking straight. So like. And I mean that going back to the fertility, I mean that going back to like, this is years of your, of your mind being in a state of injury. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I think that I started having these kind of like really intrusive thoughts about myself dying or Annie dying or Patty dying and it wouldn't just be like a thought in my head it'd be like a thought and then in my head I'd be planning out my funeral and thinking about Annie's first day at school without me and then then she was gonna get married like it would I would have this huge scenario in my head that I could be thinking sitting there thinking about it for hours and then I do the same with like you know if this will happen like if Annie passed this is what I would do and then if Patty passed and then you know, and like I would go on and on and this would go on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and it would only happen it started to happen I had this like blissful week between so my mom died then I had Annie and then there was this week where it was kind of blissful and I was like I felt really bad I was like um is this have I done my griefing? This is, this is not normal. This is really weird. I get it now. I can look back and be like, I just, I just had a baby. Like, I was, you know, this joy that I was feeling was purely for her, for her when it hit the following Saturday and had been a week since Annie got here and two weeks since my mom had died. I just, that's when things started going downhill for me mentally. And like every week, you know, she turned four weeks and I'd be like, oh, mom's gone five weeks. And then she turned three months and I'm like, well, mom's gone three months in one week. And it went on and on up until I think after probably until she was a year and a half, do you know, where I would think that month in, month out. Um, but yeah, it was that after that week of bliss, things just like like just kind of lost touch with reality a little bit. And again, I wasn't sleeping again. So Annie was a very good sleeper, thank God. Um, I mean very good, like she was newborn. You get three to four hour stretches right from the beginning, mm-hmm. which you know, in comparison to maybe some other newborns, is is really, really good. Um, but then when she was falling asleep, I wasn't falling asleep because I was so upset and so sad. And when I did fall asleep, I was having nightmares constantly about my mom dying in all different ways. And they were so vivid and just just incredibly upsetting. Um, and I would wake up and I would like a lot of the times I would wake up, I would wake myself up without realizing. And I'd hear this noise in the room that kind of sounded like somebody was wailing and like I'd never heard noises like this before and then I'd realize it was me and I was facing like Annie was in her next to me and my face would be like you know five inches from her face and I'd be wailing and my husband would have to like kind of not pull me back like pull me into a hug and then I'd have to like you know wail into the pillow because I was like I didn't want to wake her up so it was 
it's just it was all these things I suppose that you don't really see and they don't really fit into like I don't know like a, a normal neat box but I suppose as that led on and as I was getting more sleep deprived and as I was grieving more and get, being more upset I think it just turned into this like absolutely overwhelming fear fear that something was going to happen to myself to Annie to Paddy I developed really bad health anxiety I'd be I'd be sitting there so, Paddy doesn't even know this but I was sitting there in the evening times it used to happen once it got dark for some reason I don't know as soon as it got dark I would start freaking out but quietly to myself in my head and I'd be sitting like we'd both be sitting on separate couches and I'd be like you know <laughs> so silly having like these digital appointments with doctors online <laughs> and getting prescriptions for things that I didn't need because I was so scared something was going to happen. And then, you know, I get these prescriptions in the post and I'd be going down and I was just, honestly, it was, it was, I mean, I'd say it because I'm talking about myself, but it was mental. Like I was mental at the time. So. But also it, quite rational. Like you did just yeah. see, you did just see what illness can do to somebody that yeah. you love yeah, and, and that it, it can happen to the closest person in your world that you think it'll mm-hmm. never happen to. So yeah. very rational in a light bulb moment of like, we are, we are bodies designed to actually get sick. And yeah, we yeah. like, so what's wrong with me? So there must be something wrong. Let's find yeah. out. Yeah. And then when you have, after you've had a baby, your whole body feels like it's breaking down anyway. I, well, I assume I've only ever had any. So yeah, no, that's, like, that's pretty, pretty accurate assumption. Yeah. Like, yeah. like. Your your bones are sore, like your whole body, you can sit down, like then you're carrying all this extra weight and you're finding it hard to walk around and like all the, all this kind of stuff. So, But also it does, it does have natural anxiety that comes with it in that you're now yeah. programmed to be more anxious for the world because you're looking for danger. Yeah. You know, you're trying to protect this little person yes. by yeah. spotting all the things that beforehand you were completely oblivious about. And like Absolutely. that, like your loss, I think, mm-hmm. I think most parents when they, become parents I remember having incredibly distressing vivid 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 dreams Mm. about my husband passing away and it being like it was just before I gave birth to my first child like days before I gave birth to my first child and being like held in a belief the next morning that like it was a premonition like it it was going to happen like I'm going to do this alone you are going to like you're you're exiting this little situation and I'm going to be left to do this mm. and now I know that that's just absolute pregnancy hormone mm. fear yeah yeah you know but now I could shake that off because I'm like I didn't have a real story to attach it to mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're having these health anxieties with a real story to validate it with totally and like I think I I for some reason got into my head that like bad things happen in three and what I probably hadn't mentioned earlier is the year before my mom died her mom died who was in her 80s she and like this is this is having I don't know if it's like having such a big family the day my granny died is the day I had my miscarriage so my granny it was almost a year exactly before mom passed and I had Annie so I was just like this is it you know bad things yeah, happen this, the sequence of yeah, this event yeah exactly exactly and I was like uh, uh, some some people would say that I I'm very similar looking to my mom my mom was very similar looking to her granny so uh, and I know I can look back now and be like this isn't a rational thought but yeah. like at the time I was like this is it like this is like I can't I 
I don't know what to do and I can't speak to anyone about it. Like I can't speak to Patty because one part of my brain knew that this was a bit crazy. Um, but yeah, I think what I, I, I eventually, there was a week where I'm hurt a week in the house because this was sorry this was lockdown as well so we weren't this was we and you probably know yourself but it was like the week or two before the longest lockdown in Ireland yeah when we had Anne and (laughs) Juliet yeah so it's like fun times fun times fun times fun times um so yeah, there was a week, uh, maybe it must have been like three months after I had Annie, where every evening I was having a full-blown pan- silent panic mm-hmm. attack because I just couldn't say it, um, and I, which is weird because like I would always say these things, Patty, but I just couldn't say it. And like my mind would be spiraling and then it was really physical. Like I would have tingles up and down my arms. I'd feel really dizzy. I'd feel like I was about to vomit and it would go on for hours and hours and hours just purely silently. And when it got to like the fourth or fifth night, I was like, I just, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And I told Patty what had been going on and I rang the doctor the next day and I went on, um, antidepressants mm. um and then as well as that I uh, I was still within the maternity hospitals um mental health team um and they hooked me up with a psychiatrist who, and I spent the next nine months talking with him but uh, only via phone because the HSE hack had was happening oh, at the same gosh. time so he couldn't get into his emails we couldn't do zoom we couldn't meet because it was covid so all this oh, crazy God. stuff but um, it was definitely a combination of him and and having these meet, meet, weekly meetings with him and the antidepressants that got me to a point where I could think a bit straighter. Mm. I was still in the absolute depths of grief, but I wasn't having these panic attacks that, you know, something was going to happen and either Annie was going to grow up without a mom or something would happen to 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 her or something would happen to Patty. So I, I, I could move myself past these moments and kind of look back and, and you know, realise that it'd been a combination of grief and hormones and mostly grief. But um, yeah, I think that I know maybe not for everyone would be straight to go straight to antidepressants, but I knew I wouldn't be able to do anything like no exercises by myself no meditation no I wouldn't even I, to be honest I wouldn't even gone to psychiatrist you know I was so just stuck that I knew I needed a bit of like fog to be lifted from my brain before I could go on and do anything else that would be that would help me um so yeah which is a really good way of looking at it like you do need mm. a first like a kind of A and E your your brain you know yeah. you need to give it that trauma response mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. you know of healthcare before you can be expected to have the strength to do all the self care bits you know yeah. I yeah. always feel that about this whole you know yes of course what you that list that you just mentioned of course is so valid in terms of minding our mental health but if you're mm-hmm. already in injury and I do yeah. use that word on purpose because if we apply it to our physical bodies. You know, if you've broken your leg and somebody's like, yeah, but really now you should get out for your walk every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's excellent advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. But it's falling off, mm. actually. So could we fix that first? Yeah. And then we could have some rehab. And that's how mm. I like to look at these things. Mm-hmm. Of like, you just need the fix before you can begin to put the weight of responsibility on yourself for the rehab. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
it's probably one of the best decisions I made at the time, for sure. Um, the, the, you know, to be honest, I'm still on them. Um, I did try to come off about nine months ago and it didn't go too well. Um, so that's fine. Mother's Day is coming up. That's why mm-hmm. I wanted. Yes. Well, we had talked about talking. Mm. And I was looking at what I felt was important to be talked about. And I think that there are lots and lots and lots of sources of celebration for people who are in a position where they want to celebrate um, messages, symbols. You walk into a news agent, it's there. Mm. Um, yeah. I think I wanted to have this conversation to support people who might need to hear this one, mm. who might be navigating Mother's Day from a position of, of course, my children want to celebrate it for me, but I'm grieving it for my own mother. Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's the part of me or the part of my family now where I know my husband will want to celebrate me and like Annie's obviously getting a bit older she doesn't she she doesn't quite understand Mother's Day coming up she thinks it's still my birthday uh which was like three weeks ago um but I and like I know they'll want to do kind of something special and then on the flip side of course I'm just going to be thinking about my mom all of the days because Mother's Day like it's weird so like Mother's Day has changed so much for me in the last couple of years alone because I wasn't a mother before my mom died. Mm. So Mother's Day up until two years ago was all about my mom. And over these last two or three years, then it's also about me. So it's a kind of it's a really weird one to wrap my head around. Um, But I think like. I think any kind of anniversary type, I know Mother's Day is not an anniversary, but those kind types of days are just so difficult when you lose someone and I don't know, I you know what I think I do? And I think we were talking about this earlier. I think I kind of put a wall up in my brain until it's the day of. And then I'm like, just like really, really upset and in floods of tears and going out to her grave and to bring flowers. But like that just, it doesn't feel enough. So I suppose you develop like this thick skin of just trying to get through days like Mother's Day, like what's coming up because... In the two and two and a half years since she's gone, we must have had at least, I don't know, 30 special special days. Do you know, it's, it's it's kind of relentless when you have like, obviously, I wouldn't give up my big family for anything, but it is. It's hard, like it's, you know, within a week of my mom's passing, there was a birthday and a birth. It's just, yeah, it's a, but I love the families. Great childhood. Love my sisters. We're all very, very close. Well, um, it is, it is you're very fortunate in that you have each other to support yeah. um, yeah. and to swoop in and to talk about stories and to reminisce and to be nostalgic and remember those moments. And I suppose that's what children observe. And that's how they pick up yeah. on, you know, what people meant and the spirit of people, you know, not mm. just the picture of people, but the spirit of people and, and looking at ways that we all inherit those little traits yeah. from what has gone before. Yeah. Um. Well done on starting the podcast. Well done on having the courage to thank you engage in talking about grief mm-hmm. instead of that brick wall. Yeah, I yeah, believe exactly. it has immense, immense healing power when 
and even for people that aren't ready to talk, but just need a place to listen, to mm-hmm. need to hear from people who speak of that pain that they are in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's immensely important. And I just I just think well done for finding it within you mm. to be the person to facilitate these conversations, because I absolutely know that it is going to support people who don't even know that it's going to be them listening soon. You know, like we don't know when we're going to need this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, thank you. And I mean, it was ruminating in my head for probably about 12 months before I actually went and did it. Um, So to to get to this point, I'm I'm just really happy, really happy with myself. Um, And I, you know, when it comes to the topic of grief, it might not be for everyone and you or you might not be at the stage to listen to it. But I suppose... One of the things about it that I find so helpful is like the changes that happen to a person through grief. Like I look back and I'm like, I should have spent a bit more time here or a bit more time there. Or maybe I should have thought about this. And I don't know. It's like sometimes I'm like, I wish I'd, I, oh, well, obviously I'd wish I'd known these stuff before I went through my own grief and just really clarifying what is important in life and it can be different for different people like what I've realized is my career and this my you know climb up the career ladder for like 13 years to work really hard in a really stressful environment and really long hours that's not important to me it's just not and, but, and for other people that will be really important so it's not like it's not judgments mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like it's really understanding how fragile life is and what you, why people should consider what's most important to them so yeah and I mean I really enjoy talking to people so far I promise I do not cry like this <laughs> um, so you don't have to be listening to me blubbing every week but um, yeah there's something really really special about people sharing their stories with you um, and it's just it's been it's been really nice in a really weird way of um, talking about their talking about people's grief and how they changed over the past whatever amount of years. So, yeah. Well, maybe this is a way that people can hear your story um, mm-hmm. and know where you're coming from and know what you've gone through, um, allowing you to not have to cry <laughs> <laughs> when you're hosting <laughs> elsewhere and you can, yeah. ho- you can hold that space yeah. for other people. Yes. Thank you for telling us about this quite extraordinarily painful and beautiful week in your life where grief and motherhood absolutely collided. Um, I know, I know it took real courage and I, and I, and I saw those tears and I felt those tears and at several points I was like, don't do it. It's okay. We'll, we'll shut it down. We don't have to go any further, but I really, really appreciate it. And I do know, I do know in my soul, like these conversations, they matter. Thank you. And thank you, Sinead. Thank you for for facilitating this conversation and also giving me the grace of time at the start, which um probably won't make the final edit, but I needed those few minutes just to compose myself. But thank you for facilitating this conversation. I want to extend a huge thank you to Sarah. Please check out her podcast, Life's Too Short, if you are navigating grief. You'll find her on Instagram at Life's Too Short Podcast. And thank you for listening.
As always, please share and tag at Stretch Marks Podcast so I can see your feedback and comments. And I'll talk to you again next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.